All right, Romans chapter 2. We have made it through chapter 1. We are halfway through here. We're trying to take as many chunks of these as we can. Um, Warning as far as this goes. There is no rest for the weary in Romans. Technically, chapter 2 doesn't have a break, but we needed one. (laughs) So we have to put a pause in there somewhere. Otherwise, we need to start a Sunday. Be like, okay, we got to do chapter two. So we're going to start at 930 and go till one, and then we might get everything covered. So in order to avoid doing that, we stopped where we stopped last week. We kind of pick pick up where we left off. Now, that's a different discussion because... That means we also pick up where we left off last week, and I just know that you guys commit everything that I say to you, your complete memories, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, see, you're nodding at me in, an, in, a, in a sarcastic manner, and I appreciate that. So where exactly have we left off? Well, since you asked such wonderful questions, I will answer them. There was a warning against hypocrisy. The cure for that is what? Being grounded in the gospel and knowledge of Christ by those who are believers. A reminder of the universality of God's work, which again is something that should be known to those who are grounded in Christ and have a secure footing in the gospel. There was a warning that judgment is coming, which is not a concern for those who are grounded in Christ and have a secure footing in the gospel. Are you seeing a pattern forming in the cures for the problems in Romans so far? This is yes, this is no, this is we fell asleep and my head's fallen off. Okay, and you haven't fallen asleep yet. Almost all of you make it to at least 11.15 every week, so there you go. Now, building on those ideas, this week, how do we make sure that the Jewish believer or the Jew in the church does not have a sense of pride? Now, why is that a problem? Because there's been a long history of Jews allowing their culture to interpret their scriptural knowledge. And before you think that is just a Jewish Old Testament thing, um, we have to deal with things like syncretism. If you don't know what syncretism is, that's taking one religious system and another religious system and smushing them together. We got to, uh, got to hear a great presentation years ago from a Baptist missionary in Haiti. And <laughs> don't roll your eyes at me, woman. I saw that. You know this story. Uh, he was talking about how much it was an aggravation in some of the villages. They couldn't get any kind of a foothold. And what he discovered was it wasn't just him. The, the Presbyterian missionaries had the same struggle. The Methodist missionaries had the same struggle. They could not break into any of these little rural villages. Why not? They had all become this quasi-Roman Catholic. Why? Well, the guy told him. He's like, well, you, you guys don't let us keep voodoo. The Catholics do. <laughs> The Roman Catholic priest rolls in and goes, okay, you're a witch doctor. He will just become a deacon. And the, uh, the spirit that you worship to, that is now Saint whatever. They just take the name, slap it onto the current practice. And like, my joke is always, if you sprinkle a little Jesus on it, it'll be okay. It's kind of that idea. And so the, the, the actual missionaries with the actual gospel are going, what do we do? We're undoing two religious systems now. But that's syncretism. You take a little Roman Catholicism, you take a little voodoo, you take a little culturalism, This is what the world does every time. This is what the world does to you, by the way, when they look at you and go, Christian, aren't you supposed to be loving? Aren't you supposed to just love everyone and be nice to everyone? That's taking your religious system, using their understandings of vocabulary, and smashing them together. You also have a lovely thing that we, uh, well, we, I say this like I had any vote in this, but has been dubbed in the modern world standpoint epistemology. Epistemology is the study of how you know things. Standpoint epistemology would be, I understand that issue because of who I am. If you'd like the really fancy term going all the way back to law schools in the 70s, it's, um, it's intersectionality. 
I view the world the way that I view it because I am a, how, how's the phrase go? What am I now? Oh, I am a, a cis Christian male. <laughs> so that means I'm automatically a racist bigot if you don't understand how the modern terms use. So if you are a woman, you would see things differently than me. If you are a black woman, you would see things different, differently from me. If your English is a second language, you would see things differently from me. And all of these different starting points become valid and help in the interpretation of truth. I got bad news for you. No, they don't. I point this out, not because we're going to spend all of our time talking about this today, but the concern that the Jews would allow their cultural understandings of the Old Testament to color their understandings of the letters of Paul, the teachings of Jesus, and the understandings of the Old Testament, even moving into the church age, is not an old problem. It hasn't gone away. This is why we still read stuff like this. So as we read this, don't just go, that's a Jewish problem. They need to get better at that. No, no, no. That's a sin problem. The cure is found in Christ, and this is one of the things that we war against each and every day. Now, beyond that, Paul has a second concern. People of God, you shouldn't be having pride in your standing in Christ. You should be reminded of how you got in, who and what keeps you in, and you should act and live accordingly. So that's what we're going to try to build on today. We will make it through these verses, I promise. It'll be mostly painless too. You ready? Let's start verse 17. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God. See, this is that cultural understanding I was warning you about. And by the way, not a new problem. It's not like Paul's the first person to diagnose this. Jeremiah 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words, saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. See, if you say it enough times, it must be true, right? For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. And always remember, don't fall into the cultural mix-up that uh, Judaism did down through the ages. Why don't you want to oppress the widow and the orphan? Why aren't you a lying cheat? Why would you do these things if you're a Jew? If your answer is so that God will be happy with me and he will give us the rains and the crops and the blessings of heaven, then you have gotten the wrong answer. If your answer is because God has redeemed me, he has cured my sin, and he has granted me a place in his kingdom as a member of his people, now you have the right answer. I seek to honor the God that has saved me, not try to get mean old sky dad to be good to me and give me nice things. That's the different understandings of worldly religion versus what Christ has actually handed down. That, again, not a new problem. This is the understanding that Paul is already trying to build on. If you actually know something, be careful. Why? Galatians 3. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Paul's going to continue. And by the way, you'll notice the, verse, the verses, you had to put a verse somewhere in this. 
This is another one of those sections in Romans that's so aggravating. This sentence is five verses. <laughs> Paul's just like, I don't believe in punctuation or grammatical rules. I spit upon your rules. I will say what I want, how I want. So there you go. So this sentence continues. If you bear the name Jew, rely upon the law and boast in God, verse 18, and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law. So it's not just that you name the name. You actually know what's been written down. You know what's there and you've learned something. Again, remember the warning from James, James 2. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. That's something you need to remember because if your answer is, well, I have the law and I know the law and I'm keeping the law. All the law? You basically, you need to turn into clink. He's like, have you kept all of the law? Have you made no mistakes anywhere? Are you certain? That's basically what James is giving you as a warning. It continues verse 19. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So you name the name, you know what's in there, and you believe you should teach and explain to others. You think you are something because you know. Again, warning Isaiah 42. Who created the heavens and stretched them out? Who spread out the earth and its offspring? Who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it? I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. See, at the end of the day, Everything Paul's laying out here, you're naming the name of the Jew, you actually know what's in the law, and you profess to teach the law and explain it. If you were a faithful Israelite, all of those things were supposed to be true of you. That's what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to claim the name. You were supposed to know what was there, and you were supposed to teach it to others. That was actually your job. And by the way, Christian, as the people of God, nothing, nothing has changed, not in the least little bit. But always remember the warning, 1 Corinthians 10. Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. And that's why that warning is so important. If you stand, or let me rephrase that, if you think you stand because of what you know, because of who you are, and because of what you claim about yourself, there's a problem with that foundation, isn't it? Who's it built upon? This guy with two thumbs, right? I built a foundation. I will stand upon it. That's not how this is supposed to go. That's been the warning of this letter thus far up until this point, is the human condition is one of what? Brokenness. And that brokenness is under judgment, lest it be redeemed by God. That's the standpoint of the believer. So I've warned you this before when we, when we deal with Romans. There's a lot of bad news a lot of bad news. And it's uncomfortable for us because we live in a world that tries to hide the bad news. We live in a world that tries to make everything happy and simple and let's hurry up and get to the good news as fast as possible. We'll have dessert first. That's always a good plan. Look, we're going to have lunch today. If you want dessert first, I am not going to judge you. I'm not even going to look sideways at you. I get it. However, understanding the goodness of God in a selfish age, which is pretty much all ages that humanity is involved in, requires that we take the axe to the people first, and we chop them down to the basis level so that you understand what sin has corrupted and who sin has corrupted. If you don't, then it becomes, God loves you, and your answer is, well, of course he does. Have you met me? I'm amazing. Why wouldn't he? 
Well, no, three chapters of Romans later, be like, I, I, I need to rephrase this question. Hold on. I am not amazing, and I now recognize that I'm amazing. What have you got for me? That's how this is supposed to work, and that's why Paul gives you that hammer. If you'd like, I mean, if you know a verse on salvation, typically people know one of two. It's like John 3.16 or Ephesians 2, right? For by grace and you've been saved through faith, and the gift of God, not of, your, not of yourselves and not of works, so no man may boast. I know that's a quick, bad translation, but always remember that Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is not the beginning of that passage. There's a 1 through 7, and like 1 through 3 is a sledgehammer to the face. <laughs> To make sure you understand that before God redeemed, recognized what he was redeeming, Paul's doing the same thing just in expanded form because he wants to make sure that all of the bad news is covered here before you get to the good stuff. So verse 21, we continue. You therefore who teach another and do you not teach yourself? Let's summarize that real simple. Are you consistent? You're supposed to be. I mean, Matthew 5. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Always remember in the Sermon on the Mount, that was that little golden corral, little fluttering dude with the frying pan, you know, just like, boom. That's what that was. You want to enter the kingdom of heaven. You see those righteous Pharisees over there, and all the people would have said, oh, yes, Pharisees, righteous, very righteous, keepers of the law, teachers of the law, doing everything right. You got to be better than them. Better? Bet, better. Hmm. That's a problem. So if they're not going to make it, and I'm not as good as them, <laughs> I'm going to go home now and take a nap. I got no shot at this. That was the warning. The problem with the warning from the human perspective was always what? What was the standard of their righteousness? Matthew 23. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. See, the Pharisees couldn't keep their own standard. People looking at the Pharisees as the joy, they can't keep the standard either. This is why I'm forever telling you to check yourself. Where is your first ministry, people? At home, and who does it begin with? You! I will not do bad 90s dance moves, because every time someone says you like that, you... <laughs> and if you don't, if you did not grow up in the late 90s, early 2000s, you have no idea what I just did, and you are a better person for it. But I'll explain it later if you must know. <laughs> um, this is, again, the natural human tendency. Do as I say, not as I do. That was like one of the rules in my house when I was a kid. Because <laughs> my dad knew he couldn't keep the standard he wanted me to keep. Imagine how much fun that was all the time. So he's like, do what I tell you. Don't do what I'm doing. Do what I tell you. <laughs> This is what humanity does all the time. This is what Paul is already attacking. Why? Because the mindset of the human that says, do as I say, not as I do, is a mindset that is already built on a faulty foundation. They have either given themselves credit that they do not deserve, or they are trying to get you to be better than you are capable in your own power. Either way, both foundations are rotten. So, you therefore, you who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not see, steal, do you steal? You who say one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? This should matter. By the way, this should matter a lot. How do you know? See, I've given you this example before. If you looked at someone and they loved their Savior, and they wanted to serve their God. And so they were at their church every chance they got, volunteering for whatever they could possibly do because they just wanted to serve in any capacity they possibly could. That's person A. You with me? Keep them in the back of your brain. Person B 
loves it when people give them praise. They love it when people tell them how amazingly they're doing. Therefore, they show up to church every chance they get, and they volunteer for whatever they can get and try to serve in any way that they can so that people will tell them how good of a job they're doing and how wonderful they are. Now, both, both of those foundations are not the same thing, are they? From the outside, so from your perspective, what would the difference be? Watching them function at church, what would the difference be most of the time? Let's say, what would the difference be for a month? Would you notice a difference in the two people? Probably not. Would you notice a difference even after six months? Maybe a year or two? You might start to see some cracks, right? How about five years? Yeah, something's going something's to show in person B, right? Unfortunately, Christian, this is the problem that we're left in. We are fruit inspectors. We look at the fruit that a life produces because we don't have anything else. I can't carve you open and be like, oh, that's a good heart. All right, sew him back up. He's a good one. Nope, bad heart. Send No, it's back to evangelism class. Go! <laughs> I have to look at what? Life over time. This is one of the reasons why I also tell you, just be honest about your problems. We're going to find out anyway. And if you're not willing to let us find out, you're going to be somewhere else. And it's going to be somebody else's problem. So if you actually care and you want to be around for any length of time, what should you do? Just be honest. We already know you're messed up. You're here. Like the first declaration of Christianity is what? Hi, my name is Michael, and I'm a sinner, and I can do no good, and the intent of my thought, the intent and thoughts of my heart are only evil continually, but Jesus. <laughs> so the argument that coming in, be like, no, 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 I'm one of the good ones. Back of the line. Back of the line. We got a liar here. He is self-deceived. Let's start with John and see what happens. We, we already know that you're broken and you need help. So trying to pretend like you're not and hide it into something else is, is the least of the problems. This is, again, what should be done here over time, looking. You claim this. Do you live like it? Because here's the other part. It gets worse. 2 Corinthians 11. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Like, Satan doesn't come slithering into your world, like, wearing a hat with horns on it and carrying a pitchfork and be like, do you want to sin against the Most High? I can help you. What would you say to that? You'd be like, no, I'm good, dude. I, I think I can win that battle. I, you know what? That's a spiritual fight that I have no doubts about. I'm going to be like, yeah, no, don't follow the, hey, the guy slithering on the floor in the gym, don't listen to him. I think he means us harm. Like, that's an easy one. How, how does the light, how does the darkness come in trying to disguise itself as light, though? Love, caring, helping, manipulating. And you sit there and say, what? Oh, really? But they were so dot, 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 dot. They did that, but they were so dot, 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 dot. Yeah, of course they were. This is why it takes time. This is why you have to look at the totality of things. Which, by the way, disclaimer, this is also why when someone does one little thing wrong to you, you don't go, out of my life forever! Because you should look at what? The totality of things. You should actually allow Christians in your life to build up some goodwill. I know this flies in the face of the modern world, but you should actually allow two, three, four, five, ten, fifteen hike years of service in the church and knowing someone to be able to override one disagreement or one wrong because we're not perfect. We are not. Newsflash, I'm going to annoy you. At some point, I'm probably going to upset you. Okay? Why? Because I'm a sinful human, I'm going to do something dumb at some point. Despite the rule, I, even I, break the rules. Just because we haven't covered this. What is the rule? 
Don't do dumb things, okay? Why is, that, why is that always the rule? Because what do we do at some point? Dumb things. And then you look at yourself in the mirror and say what? I did the dumb thing. Well, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? Trust me. 50 now, 49, at least 49 Mondays or Tuesdays a year, I stand in my bathroom and go, why did you say that on a Sunday morning? Why? Now, keep in mind, I'm only up here 51 Sundays a year, so only about 49 of those do I actually look at myself and go, why? 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 You thought it, and then you said it. Tuesday, you know what Tuesday, I've already done, to, I've already done this week's. Be like, why'd you do the stupid dance move? You didn't have to do the stupid dance move. And I'm going to be there on Tuesday going, that served no purpose. You just can't help yourself, can you? Why are you such a doofus? Because it's not Monday. I'm too busy on Monday. Tuesday morning is when it hits me. And be like, I didn't think about this for 48 hours. Why is this in my head now? Because this is humanity and this is what we do. Okay, that's going to happen in life. Look at the totality. Look at the fruit. Look at the reaction when you go to that person, because here's a novelty in the modern world, going to someone who's wronged you and said, this is how I feel like you've wronged me. Did I miss something? Was something wrong? Did I see it wrong? Give them the benefit of the doubt and go, okay, no, I've been wronged. Let's deal with this. What's the reaction? Now move forward. This is Christian living. Actually taking the light and doing what with it? Shining it upon the problem so that we can then do what? Kill it with fire. See, I love it when they get the answers right. Good job. This is what we do. This is how we live day in and day out. And this is, again, the thing that Paul is going to try to build, but it's got to overcome the sinfulness that is inside of me and inside of you first, which is only done in the work of Christ. Continuing on, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? No, never, never. Humanity, humanity would never call your idols idolatry and my idols good. Yeah, we would never do that. We would never corrupt something. We would never rob from God. We would never take what he has given to us and corrupt it in any shape, form, or fashion. See, because by the way, you read Rob Temples and you start thinking like Indiana Jones, right? Like you got the bag of sand and you're like, I'm going to make this work. I got this. No, that's not what's going on here. That's not how you rob God. Defaming him. Taking the credit. Trying to steal his glory. You won't win, but you're going to try. Always remember, as you ever go through a gospel, well, one of these days we'll get back into another gospel and we'll go through one. I'm leaning towards Matthew, but it's going to be a while. Um, Jesus's interaction with the religious leaders, remember, he never speaks against God's law. He speaks against their expansion of it and their corruption of it. And they're taking what was supposed to be a declaration to a redeemed people and making it the stick that they used to beat them about the head so that they could maintain power. Things like John 2, you see this in, the, in Jesus going to Jerusalem. This Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves. He said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Missed the button. Always remember the problem isn't just that they're selling. It's what they're selling. Just realize how broken this is that you show up at the temple and they're selling the doves. What are the doves there for? That's the poverty offering. You're too poor for a lamb, so you have to offer a dove. Now imagine showing up to the temple and be like, hey, doves. Now, like with everything else in the world, do you think the doves at the temple are cheaper than the doves not at the temple? Like once you're in Wrigley Field, does the hot dog get cheaper or more expensive? <laughs> Why? What are you going to do? Leave? 
go across the street and get a hot dog somewhere else. That's why a $2 hot dog is now $27 and the, and the down payment of your firstborn. And you think I'm mostly kidding. What do you think the doves in the temple were? Same problem. A dove is like a quarter, like two blocks from here. Oh yeah, we'll go two blocks from here and get that dove approved by the priest and see how that works out for you. This one's four bucks. <laughs> Gouging the poor, robbing, stealing. Why? So we can make money off the sacrifices of the people of God. Could you imagine if you had to put a quarter in every time we took communion? <laughs> you want your little cup? Cup comes out, quarter goes down. Don't give Mike any ideas. <laughs> He's not in here. Don't, do, no, don't tell him I said that. He, he'd be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> You would immediately do what if that church, if the church did that? Imagine there's like a little coin dispenser, like put, put the quarter in the slot, get your, get your wafer. You'd be like, yeah, we're out. I don't need to be, I'm good. Someplace else. That's what's going on here. Again, why? Matthew 23 again. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, this should not be, this is what Paul is giving you, this rundown, checking your heart. What is your life built upon? Verse 23, you who boast in the law, hey, another sentence, right? You who boast in the law through, the, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. See, that's an ouch. Notice um, NASB does this. See how it's in all caps? That tells you Old Testament quote going on here. So when he says, just as it is written, this is a complaint going way, way back. Isaiah 52. Thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you will be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at, for, at the first into Egypt to reside there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now, therefore, what do I have here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people have been taken away without cause. Again, the Lord declares, those who rule over them howl, and my name is continually blasphemed all day long. Therefore, my people shall know, them, shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, I am the one who is speaking. Here I am. See, why are they back in captivity? Why are they being overrun? What's the trust? And by the way, this is humanity. This is not just Israel. So we always use like, like judges as the example, right? Israel settles in the land mostly because for every Caleb, there's a tribe of Dan. And actually the problem with Israel is for every Caleb, there's like 20,000 in the tribe of Dan. So Caleb's 85 years old. He's been at war with Joshua his entire life. And he comes to Joshua and he's like, God has promised us a land if I'm done here, my kids and I are going to go kill everybody in it and take the land that God has promised us. You good with that? And Joshua's answer is, yeah, I'm good with that. Go. And Caleb and his family go down there and basically conquer Judah. <laughs> 85-year-old man, couple of grandkids. You got a strong back. Come on, boy. We'll be good. Wipe out a couple of cities. Awesome job. And then there's Dan, who can't conquer their land, so they have to go try to find a different land, and they can't really conquer that land either. Oops. So you have Israel mostly settled in the land, and then what happens? Ooh, idols. Ooh, pretty pagan women. Ooh, anything, anything other than the actual service of God. So what happens? Moab comes in. Ammonites come in. Edomites come in. Philistines come in. Hey, you know, we should probably be worshiping and serving God like Joshua told us to. God, we're sorry. Oh, look, here's a judge and a deliverer. 40 years of peace. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ooh, pagan idolatry. Ooh, pagan women. It's like, didn't we just do this game? Yes, and we're going to do it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Noah comes off the boat. Noah sins. Sons, generations disperse. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What does humanity do a chapter later? Not wishing to, to be dispersed, but wishing to remain together. They built for themselves a tower. It's like, you find yourself dealing with like a toddler. Like, you wonder why God doesn't show up every third page and go, what did I just say? Like, how hard was this? This is humanity all the time. It didn't change after the flood. It didn't change just because Abraham was called. It didn't change just because they got a king. It didn't change just because they had prophets. It didn't change just because Jesus came about. It hasn't changed because humanity hasn't changed unless there's a proclamation of Christ and him crucified, unless there's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that changes the hearts in men, which changes their minds and then changes their life. That is the warning that is being given because otherwise you're just everything that God hates all the time. And this is what humanity does every single time. So the warning you get in the Old Testament, things like Proverbs 6. There are six things which the Lord hates. He has seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that that, that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. You know, I read that list, and Proverbs is only written like three thousand years ago. I think we've gotten a little better, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) 3,000 years of human progress, because isn't that what we're about all the time? And what are we? Gee, we we still have deceiving eyes and lying tongues and and, and violent feet and hands and, and wicked hearts, and we still have all of those things, don't we? Give people something good, and then give them something evil, which will they form a line for? This is the human condition. First Peter 1. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Never try to accomplish the last part of that paragraph without the first. It can't be done. It will just become a cudgel that you beat people with. You are not holy because you are holy. You are holy because God is holy. Because of his indwelling, because of his salvific work, because of his changing of your heart and renewing of your mind and guiding of your steps, this is why you stand. This is part of the warning. Because the minute, the very, very minute, don't ask me why I'm hopping, that you begin to think your power will accomplish, there be dragons. That's when you have forgotten where you stand. You have picked up the anchor and what starts happening to the ship without the anchor. Whee! It's like, I just left that battleship here yesterday. Where could it possibly have gone? That's the warning. And this is, again, the foundation that Paul is trying to build upon. So he'll continue on. Verse 25. It's going to get a little technical, but we got this. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Don't get twisted up on the, on the physicality here. What is circumcision to the Jew? It's the introductory rite. It's step one. It's your way of entering in and declaring, I'm in. Christian, what do, what do we do as an introductory rite? Let me rephrase this. Baptist, what do we do as an introductory rite? <laughs> What's step one? Hold them under. Okay, there's still bubbles. You're good. (laughs) 
It's just the step one. That's what Paul is using it here. Is your step one good if you're a transgressor of the law? Can you sit there and go, no, 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 no. I can break the law. I've taken step one. I'm in. I'm good now. It doesn't matter what I do. That's the argument Paul is making. That's the thing. Again, um, my brain stopped. Galatians 3, where he builds upon this. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. I don't think it's a coincidence that the first two books of the New Testament written are James and Galatians, and they both basically contain that exact same idea. That No, 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 no. You don't get to say I'm a law keeper by saying I have 99.9% of it. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Like, as long as you don't look at that little thing over there, we're fine and everything's wonderful. James warns against that. We read it earlier. Paul warns against it in Galatians 3. Why? Because the human tendency is always to view the accomplishment from our perspective. No, Christian, you surrender how much of your life to Christ? Including that dark little corner you don't want anybody to look in. And look, I get it. Because can be honest with you, I don't want to look in that dark little corner of your world either. Okay? <laughs> Here's the best part. I don't have to. God already has. He has already seen, he already knows, and in Christ he has redeemed you anyway. Therefore, you're not hiding anything from anyone. So go to war. I've told you this a thousand times. I'm going to tell you this as long as I have some words that are coming out somewhat uh, cogently. Love the fight. This is your lot in life in Christ, this side of eternity. It is the war. It is the war against the sin you encounter out there. It is the war against the sin you encounter in here. Wake up each day and go, I don't want to fight. I don't care. This is what we do. Why? Because I can't ignore it. The alternative to not fighting my sin is surrendering to it. I don't know about you, but I can't. I've tried. (laughs) I've tried. I've woken up and gone, you know what? It's just going to be easier. I'm just not even going to worry about it. I'm not even going to think about it. Why? Because what? Holy Spirit's sitting there doing what work. Keep moving. Keep moving. To the kingdom with you. To the kingdom. You don't get to stop today. You become Jeremiah. I don't want to speak, but if I don't speak, it's like fire in my bones. I don't want to war against my sin, but if I let my sin try to have victory, this is the Christian life. This is good news for you because it's the Holy Spirit not abandoning you. This is how you know that you know that you know that you are in. Is that the Holy Spirit isn't just looking at you going, you know what we're going to do? I'm just going to leave that one alone for a little while until somebody preaches Jesus to him and then we'll see what happens. He's going, no, you're mine. You're getting in line. Now move it. Yes, sir. That's what's going on in your life day in and day out. That's the warning that you're getting here. You don't get to go, no, 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 no. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have this one little box in the corner to be locked up. Won't be a big deal. I'm just gonna open it every once in a while and pet it. It'll be fine. No, no, it won't. That's your war. That's the fight that you have day in and day out. Rejoice. This is how you know that God has loved you, that he has sacrificed his son for you, that he has sent his spirit to indwell you and empower you moving forward. This is how you know because you're sitting there going, Ugh. This is what Paul warned the Galatians. This is what James warned the church. This is what Paul is warning the Romans. This is why all the warnings are coming along. Because at the end of the day, humanity has the same problem. Isaiah 64. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. And so Paul will build on this. Because you'll notice... Well, actually, no, there is actually a period for once. Paul actually completed a thought in one sentence. Go team. Hey, you laugh. There are times. Remember, the first seven verses of this book are one sentence. It's like, 
a period man, just one. So verse 26 though, same idea. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Okay, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes, actually. The answer is yes. You haven't taken the initiatory step, but you are seeking to honor God as if you are. Does that mean God's going to look at you and be like, well, no, 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 no. You didn't get circumcised, therefore it doesn't count. (laughs) Is that how that works? No, no, not in the least, not at all. Why not? What's the standard, Christian? Deuteronomy 10. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in them. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all the peoples as it is to this day. Therefore, circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. And by the way, you saw this in the history of your Old Testament. Now, don't get twisted up. In order to explain to you the history of the Old Testament, I have to read to you a New Testament verse, but it'll make sense. Luke 4. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I, tell, but I say to you in truth, there were many widows in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut for three years and six months when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. What was the lesson? There were plenty of Israelites with leprosy. There were plenty of Israelites who were widows. Did the prophets of God go to them? No, they went outside of Israel. Those people still outside the kingdom? That becomes the question. Because if you're a faithful Israelite keeping the law and thinking that you're keeping the law and your place of birth and your name of birth is so important, the answer would be yes. But if you are actually understanding the things of God... If you are broken and contrite of heart and recognizing the redemption that God has brought and seeing the redemption going all the way back to Egypt and recognizing that God's people have been a joinable people from Exodus 12, then the answer would be God has healed them. God has rescued them. God has redeemed them. God has brought them in. It's pride and it's selfishness that rejects that. It's an anger at wanting to accomplish something that looks at that verse and goes, no, may it never be. No, no, no. I've got a list and I want to keep the list. The problem with that person isn't the list. The problem with that person is the heart. Change the heart. Redeem the list. (laughs) Always remember, your your seeking to live righteously isn't the problem. The, The problem is always the why behind your seeking to live. Verse 27. And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who through, who though having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? Let me help you out with that. It's another rhetorical question. The answer is yes. So him, uncircumcised, loving and honoring God, thereby keeping. You, circumcised, dishonoring God, not loving, not keeping. Who's making it? Who's going to sit in judgment of who at the end? 
Yeah, he is. Why? Because of how righteousness is defined. They answered and said, John 8, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. This is John the Baptist warning in Luke 3. Remember the Pharisees and the religious leaders are coming out to John, warns them, who warned you, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Gotta love the imagery of calling the Pharisees snakes trying to run away from a wildfire. (laughs) I wonder if they were even the slight little bit offended or if they were just so busy trying to ask their own questions they didn't even hear it. You've never met that person, like they're so busy trying to talk to you about something they don't even hear what you said. And do not say that we are Abraham's children, for from these stones God can raise up children to Abraham. You're not special because of who your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather is. You're only special if God actually knows you. This was the lesson you see in the book of Acts, where the exorcist, the seven, was it, seven sons of Sceva, which sounds like a bad band name in punk music. It does. It doesn't mean, nah, it's some dude with a pink mohawk. By the, God, by the God whom Paul preaches, we adjure you to come out. What do the demons say? Yeah, well, Jesus we know. Paul we know. Who are you again? Which, that's one of those uh uh-oh moments in life when the demon looks at you and goes, and why do I care about you? Leave, leave now. Leave now, quickly, quickly. (laughs) They weren't quick. The demon beats them up, throws seven of them out the window. It's an awesome story. (laughs) Hey, when in doubt, false prophets need a good butt kicking from a demon every once in a while. It lets you know who is what. So as long as there's no demons running in, I feel pretty good about my chances. (laughs) So far, so good, right? But this is, again, the reminder, Christian, What do I always tell you to ask yourself? Who are you? Why are you? Why? Why, why? Become in your Christian life, become an annoying four-year-old, okay? For the rest of your days. Everybody's kid went through this phase, right? We're going to grandma's. Why? So we can visit her. Why? Because we like her. Why? (laughs) Every kid does it. Yes, you did it too. Mine, I thought I'd passed it. Mine, mine didn't start doing it until like six. I'm like, we made it out of the Y stage. We did it. Wait a minute, where did this come from? Well, you decided to be annoying when you're older and could ask more questions? Great. <laughs> you should do this in your Christian life. I'm doing this today. Why? I'm seeking to accomplish this today. Why? I'm living for this today. Why? If the answer, when, when you get to the thing that the answer is not God or the work of Christ, congratulations, you know what you just found. You just found your idol, you get to kill it with fire and move on to the next thing. This is your constant evaluation. This is the brokenness of the modern heart, the modern world, is that we have not invented new ways to sin. There is nothing new under the sun. What we have done is invent new ways to distract ourselves from our sin. And we're really, really good at that. I mean, let's be honest. Unless you are intentional about it, when was the last time you were alone and it was quiet? I'm serious. There wasn't a TV, a tablet, a phone, something. Just you and your thoughts. Like we put radios in showers now for crying out loud. Remember you buy, you buy that stupid little thing? This was a thing about 10 years ago. You hook it up in the shower head and it's waterproof and they have like the world's worst reception. They get two stations. <laughs> Outside of the shower, they work great. And you're like, that defeats the purpose. <laughs> Why did we do that? Because what do I always joke with you about? Those thoughts you have with you looking in the mirror, those thoughts you have when you're taking a shower on a random Tuesday, Thursday, whatever morning, because you're suddenly by your 
self with your own thoughts, being able to confront who you are. Now what do you do? Oh, no, no, give me a radio because the last thing I want to do is talk to me. This is what we've done in the modern world and it's to our detriment because we don't think and we don't slow down and we're not patient and everything in our lives is... (sighs) This is the gospel attitude. The understanding that I have to think. I have to evaluate and I have to recognize that I'm going to mess up. And I'm going to get things wrong. And I'm going to have to trust that it is Christ's mercy that covers and God's love that forgives and the work of the Spirit that's going to kick me in the butt again and get me back on track to keep me moving. That's where my faith has to rest. But it only rests there as I rest in my God. How do I do that? Why are you? Why are you? What are you serving? Why are you building your life the way that you're building it? Why are you chasing after the things that you're chasing? Why are you seeking the things that you're seeking? Why are you, why are you reacting to this success? Why are you reacting to this failure? What, why? What's the goal? What's the purpose? How do I honor God? Figure that out. You don't have to worry about this. Because your foundation will be right. Build on the foundation. Start in the right direction. And guess what's going to happen as you keep building? It's going to be fine. Because the materials won't change. The direction won't change. And it will be built upon the right thing. Verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Because again, from the very beginning, read Deuteronomy 10 earlier, God has been always after the hearts of his people, not just about the actions. It's the human corruption that makes it about actions. Ephesians 2. Remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's not your accomplishment, it's his. It's not your righteousness. It's his. It's not your world. It is his. It's not your sacrifice. It's his. It's not your anything. It's his. Why are you? Remember the lesson from your Old Testament. The law was given to a redeemed people. It was not given to a people to make them righteous. It was given to a people so that they would know what righteousness was because God had defined it for them. Christian, this is why you're given a spirit. This is why you're given the commands you're given in the New Testament. This is why you're given the advice you're given in the epistles. Because you actually know what is good and right in this world. And because you have been changed of heart by God, you are seeking to live for what is right in this world. Be a miserable thing to go, I know I'm supposed to do something, but I don't know what it is. (laughs) That would not go terrible with humanity, would it? Just leave us to our own devices and think we're going to accomplish something good? Yeah, how's the proverb go again? There's a way which seems right unto a man, and in the end, that way leads to death. Yeah, what could we possibly do wrong with that? No, instead God goes, I will not leave them unaware. I will not leave them as orphans. They will have the spirit, and that spirit is being guided, is guiding you to and instructing you by what? Scripture. So I give you all of these little references in your bulletin, because if you have questions about what I just said, you can go look it up, because you shouldn't listen to me. If you haven't, if you figured out nothing else by now, I am insane. (laughs) Random ideas come through. I get annoyed because I said them out loud. But you know when that insanity actually gets channeled in a wonderful direction? In Scripture. Because it actually now bears fruit that is good. 
not fruit that would try to please me or make me happy, but fruit that actually blesses the kingdom and strengthens the people of God. That's where it's good. That's where it's right. The minute we get off the Bible, you should throw things at me and run away and not listen to a thing I said. When we're on scripture, we should all be able to rejoice because it is God who has strengthened us and God who has gifted us. Verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. Yeah, we've covered all of that, so I'm going to summarize that with one simple phrase, as promised. As promised. This is the buildup. This is what the entirety of your Bible is building towards. Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. Mm Mm-hmm. That's you. That's you. That's now. That's what you're walking in. That's what you're walking towards. You're going, but, 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 there's not a kingdom yet. It's working on it. You're building it day by day in your sacrifice, in your service, in your asking of why. You are strengthening yourself and those around you and those you're discipling into the kingdom of God. And you are building up the people of God as you are built up as a kingdom. That's why we're careful. Philippians 3. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God, in the glory of Christ, and put no confidence in the flesh. You could summarize that a little bit longer if you go back to something we went through in Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority, and in him you are also circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. This is why you are different. This is why you live the way that you do, because you have been changed from the inside out. And you do all of this and accomplish all of this, not because of you, but because of him in whom you rest. Deuteronomy 30. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. Congratulations, Christian. You have a foundation upon which you can rest. The accomplished work of Christ, the building work of the Spirit, so that you can go. The difficulty is that nice, relaxing, deep breath you take in this world looks an awful lot like warring and fighting against your sin. But that is your rest. You're going, but I'm tired. I get it. Um, Kids, you won't understand this. If you're over 30, you're going to be tired forever, okay? (laughs) Let me rephrase that. You're not going to be tired forever. You're going to be tired until the kingdom comes. You woke up one day and you're like, I'm tired, and you've never gotten over it since. You're not going to. Why not? Because life is not fun and easy most of the time. It is complicated. And unfortunately, the you asking why of everything in life makes it more complicated. I get that. I'm asking you to complicate your life further. But there's blessing and there's peace in that complication because as you complicate your life, you simplify it by saying, yes, I ask why, but the answer never changes. (laughs) It's just, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to hunt for it. It's right there. The answer is, should be Christ. If it's not Christ, I found the wrong answer. Now I got to figure out how to make this the right answer. 
And there is coming a day when that will not be my war. There is coming a day when Christ will redeem all of this rightly and I will rejoice. And then it will be, and I won't be tired anymore. If nothing else, you can look forward to that, right? Why? Because he's faithful. And what he has accomplished, he has accomplished. And what he has promised, he will bring to pass. And this is the foundation that Paul is building upon for the church and for his people because this is what he has granted to them. Now, warning. Paul's not done with the bad news, but we're going to continue as we go through this to see it as the good news because of where we stand. And we will rejoice greatly because as we see what is broken, we see the light of Christ shine so beautifully and we see the joy of his accomplishment in our world so brightly that we can be strengthened and we can be joyful as we encounter this world, knowing that we have tribulation. Yes, but what is Christ's warning to the apostles? I have overcome the world. Christian, he's overcome all of it. Rest in him, trust the foundations, build accordingly. Let's pray.